Welcome to Dad Devotionals with Dave Domzowski. This is the place for Christian fathers, husbands, and those who love them to find the inspiration, grace, and guidance to help you live God's will for your life and finish your race strong. We share scripture readings, prayers, and advice to help you in your personal and professional life. Now pop in the earbuds or turn up the volume, and let's get to today's episode. Hey guys, before we begin here, I want to tell you about a few things. First, Orthodox at Work. It's a new monthly podcast series that I'll be doing with Sean Reed, an Orthodox deacon and business coach. It will be featured on the Dad Devotionals podcast at the end of each month, starting in June. We will discuss how to live out orthodoxy in the workplace and your business. Secondly, please show your support for the IOCC, or International Orthodox Christian Charities. I'm spreading the word about their DIY fundraising initiative. Do it yourself for IOCC is a chance to raise awareness and funds in creative ways. You're inspired. Now do something about it. Decide how you will make an impact for this cause you care about so much. Show the world your passion as you bring your vision to life. Get involved at IOCC.org slash DIY. Now let's get to today's interview. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Dad Devotionals podcast. I'm Dave Domzowski. And I have a very special guest today, Abbot Trifon of All Merciful Savior Monastery, and also of the Morning Offering podcast and blog on Ancient Faith Radio. And he's here to join us today and have just a brief Q&A with us. And we are very blessed to have him. Abbot Trifon, welcome to Dad Devotionals. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's, it's very nice to be with you. Excellent. Well, is there anything that you want to say before I get into Q&A just about your, about your background, primarily as it relates to your Orthodox journey? Well, um, I am a recovering psychologist. <laughs> it's a lifelong process. and Every so often I find myself twitching. <laughs> I was raised Lutheran. And uh, as I say, the best Lutherans are former Lutherans. Bless their hearts. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and uh, really, that's about it. I, okay. I, I live in a beautiful setting in a forest on an island. Um, and we're, we like to say that the, of the Salish Sea that surrounds us, that we have this giant moat that keeps riffraff away from the place. <laughs> I like that. I like that sentiment. <laughs> Uh, I want to. I want to say this, Abbott. It is really a pleasure to have you. I know for me, I've been Orthodox for only a, a few years here, and it's you know it's because of you that I've been able to really deepen my understanding of the faith. So I, I do appreciate that. And in preparing for this, one of the things that I did was put out put it out to my to my Facebook followers, both on my personal page and the uh, and the business page for Dad Devotionals, and we got some great. Um, questions that I thought that would really I hope make for trick questions. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> but I, I, I want to start with this one because I think it's, I think it's really, uh, it would really be good for listeners to kind of hear from your perspective about this. How does, how do you maintain humility as a? I mean, in effect, at least with orthodoxy, you're a public person with plenty of charisma. I mean, you have your own blog, you have your own podcast. Um, how do you fight against, you know, not not, you know, losing that humility and fighting against things like pride and vanity. Well, 
it's a good, it's a good one to start off with, right? Just a minute. Let me consult with my publicist. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I grew up with dyslexia, so I was a terrible student. Uh, high school and college debate got me out of that. And I grew up very tall, fast, so I was a terrible athlete. So I was bullied a lot. Mm. I'm still not at all over it yet. And so when you talk about getting all puffed up about notoriety and such, well, the, the, the truth is I'm still in recovery from having been bullied as a grade school kid. <laughs> but, you know, in, in all honesty, what, what I do uh, it's sort of in a vacuum here because I most of what I write and, and post and record is either in my monastic cell or in my uh, study, which is I'm in, I'm in my study right now. And so I don't really see people. And then when I am out and about, you know, speaking on speaking tours and actually have people in front of me, um, it, it, I'm so filled with joy to be with with fellow believers mm. that it just, you know, I'm often shocked that they would invite me. Why were, why would they invite me? Uh, it, it's just not been a problem. It's just been number one that I, I really do feel joyful in this, in the, in my membership in the Orthodox church. And I love people. And so when I'm with people who are Orthodox, I feel their joy. And so when you've got this kind of collective joy banging against each other, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, just, it just seems so natural and wonderful. It's like being with family. And, and having grown up in a family, my dad was a golf pro and my mother was an organist and an accomplished pianist. Um, I was, but we were all sort of, joyful together and my parents glory to god converted to orthodoxy before the repose and um but i just grew up in a very natural environment um that that just made everything so normal and natural that i and i had parents that were humble and loving mm. so i just sort of i i have to point everything to my parents and give credit to them for everything, pretty much. That and the, and the grace of God. Amen. Absolutely. But I, I, how, how tall are you, just as a side note? Well, I'm shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a priest ask me once, Father, have you been trimming your beard? No. My beard used to come way, way down below the cross. Yeah. And I and then I started having people say, "Are you trimming your beard?" And no, it's old age; it's falling away. And and uh, I'm not losing inches; they're just relocating. And I understand that as a father. So I, I, I used to be um, uh, one and a half inches, but now I'm probably uh, five point five and eleven inches, or something like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. But when I was a kid, I was one of the tallest. I was going to say, what about basketball? I mean, I, I figured, you know, that would have been right so clumsy. I, you know, I would be moved to a new school in a new town when I was in the seventh grade. 
and the basketball coach saw me and he got so excited and then he saw me try to dribble a ball and he shook his head and that was the end of it. <laughs> yeah, because I was terrible. I didn't really get into, you know, athletics until I was in mid middle in college. And then it was uh, weightlifting and, and long distance running. But when I was in high school, forget it. I understand. I'm, I'm a runner myself, so I can appreciate that. That, that time outdoors does wonders. It really does. <laughs> Once I actually founded a runner's club. No kidding. In Portland, Oregon. And I went running with the first time we all collectively got together. Mm-hmm. And I hated it because I was a solitaire. So I founded the club that I quit. <laughs> and then I would go running every day. I would run. I even put my, uh, I even would run to work to the college where I was teaching. Mm-hmm. And I'd shower when I got there. And then I would run on my two hour lunch break. And then I would run home. Yeah. And I would, and my favorite vacation location was Vancouver, British Columbia. I stayed in a cheap hotel near Stanley Park and I would run around the park every day and then I'd spend the next, the rest of the day walking the city. So um, when I had my hip replacement surgery, the doctor said, were you ever a runner? And I said, yes. And he says, ah, that's why. (laughs) You sound sound like the founder of Nike with uh, (laughs) running to work in her. Only I never made any money. Well, yeah, it's, that's that's a tough part. Yeah, <laughs> um, glory to God, Amen. Because you know, then we wouldn't have you now, and that would be that would be a crime. Um, in your opinion, um, what are some of the most important issues facing dads, not only in the Orthodox Church but just in the world in general? Boy, it's a hard time for dads. You know, when I grew up, my dad was a golf pro, and he was he was well known as a golf teacher. And I remember one of my earliest journeys with my parents when I was just a toddler. Uh, we went to the Greenbrier Resort in hmm. Virginia. Right, right. And my dad played golf with Sam Sneed and President Eisenhower. Oh, wow. And yet, my dad was one of these people. One of his golfing buddies was a man who was so poor that they lived in a in an old log cabin in Sandpoint, Idaho that had a dirt floor with linoleum over it. Wow. And my dad also had friends who were millionaires. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me that it's the heart that counts, not the money. And I really grew up with the dad imaging that, that he was just this humble, wonderful man who loved everybody and everybody loved him. And my mother was an accomplished uh, pianist. She won the National Piano Teachers Award one year. I never could figure out how. They came from New York to give her the award. Wow. And she was also an accomplished church pipe organist. And yet she was just this mom who made great, who was a good cook and kept her sons in line. And loved us. Amen. Uh, no, I mean, especially we're, we're recording. This won't go uh, on the podcast on Mother's Day, but we are recording on Mother's Day. So that's a nice sentiment to have. Um, how can this, this came from a, 
from one of the Facebook uh, questions as well. How can fathers strike a better balance between work and their spiritual lives? It seems to be something that I know I struggle with. Um, and, and just being able to, you know, almost in a, almost in the sense that I would, I would imagine a monk would kind of, you know, have that, that Jesus prayer in your heart while you're, while you're dealing things, not only with, with work, but with kids and just, you know, exhibiting Christ. And that's what I seem, seem to struggle with. I know myself. I would say that the most important thing that a father can do is image Christ to his children. If a dad prays and his children see it, and it's not limited to Sunday morning liturgy, mm -hmm. children, especially sons, see that. You know, it's like when I was a therapist, I used to, I remember once there was a, a kid that was having terrible emotional problems and, and I, uh, and, and he actually grabbed the principal in his school by the hair and pulled him to the ground. Oh, wow. And it took a bunch of teachers to get him off the principal and get his, his grip off the principal's hair. And so then his, his parents brought him to see me. And my first thought was this kid is the way he is because of his parents because he had parents who were dysfunctional right. and kids image their parents. You know, there's an old saying that the daughters marry their dads. Mm -hmm. And so there's, if a woman marries an abuser, quite often the dad is an abuser. Mm. And, the, and on, so it's really important that fathers give an image of, of a God centered life to their parent, to their children, it's especially to their sons, because their sons are watching. Oftentimes, sons have a closer relationship with their mother than with their dad, but that doesn't mean they're not imitating their dad. And so when they see their dad taking his face, faith seriously, leading the, the children, the family in devotions, you know, morning and evening prayer are so important in the prayer book. You know, one of the concerns of, of this uh, Pandora, this uh, uh, this pan pandemic, is that people are not able to go to church. Well, I've talked to numerous people, and when I ask them, "Are you doing your prayer book services?" What prayer book? They don't even have a prayer book. And I said, "Well, do you light your lampada in front of your family icons? Uh, what's a lampada?" Yikes. I mean, that's not a good thing. Right. And so, you know, this is an opportunity for everyone, bishops, priests, and lay people, to go into the heart mm. and to say our prayers with meaning. You know, during the Soviet period, when churches were raised to the ground or turned into other uses, and people were forbidden to go to church. What kept the church alive? Grandmothers. Mm. They were still praying. The place, the, the location of, for Christ the Savior Cathedral in Moscow, which had been raised to the ground and a giant swimming pool put there. And what a lot of people don't know is that on cold nights in the winter, when that heated pool was sending up, you know, it used to, it, I've been told that there were times that 
that the that over the pool there was the shape of onion domes. And grandmothers used to secretly take their grandchildren there and baptize them Mm. because they weren't able to take them to a church. And priests were not allowed to baptize children. Wow. And so, but the church thrived. And today we have the resurrection of orthodoxy in Russia, like an amazing resurrection. Yeah. And it began with churches closed and persecuted and people keeping the faith in the privacy of their homes. I remember once hearing of a, of, of, of a family that had their icons hidden behind a large photograph of Lenin. Wow. Wow. So if any of the neighbors came in and were going to squeal on them, they would go out of there thinking, wow, they're really serious about being communists. They have this giant portrait of Lenin on the wall in their living room. But then when the, when the parents were alone with their children, they took the portrait, set it on the floor, face down, I'm sure. Yeah. And there were all their icons. Wow, that is amazing. Ah. That is just <laughs> astonishing. I love that. It is. it is so this is an opportunity you know it's not there's all kinds of you know people having different views about what's going on with this pandemic whether you know it is uh, started by the government to keep to close churches there's all kinds of theories about it ultimately it doesn't matter because god is allowing it Mm. and god doesn't allow any suffering that is not salvific for those who love him. Hmm. And we have to remember that we have a co-suffering savior who's with us. Hmm. And so, yes, I'm not happy not having people coming to the monastery. I, I, I look out, I gave a homily today to nobody except hmm. my monks hmm. because I'm called to do that. Right. right. And uh, so you know, this is what the predicament that we're all in. But what we do is we make the best of it. If they could do it in the Soviet time, we can do it now. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm, I'm sure that's going to touch a lot of a, a lot of men. Um, this is a, this is another uh, uh, listener submitted question. I think it it kind of plays off of it a little bit. So the secular world is such a pull on us Christians. Uh, what is the best way to continue? to keep young, uh, this, this is a father of, a, of college-age adults. What is the best way to keep young college-age adults engaged and involved in the life of the church? Well, years ago, when I was speaking at the Orthodox Christian Fellowship Conference, um, and there were 60 young people there. And, uh, and I talked about only in orthodoxy, of all these denominations out there, only in orthodoxy do we typically have a balance of men and women in church, 50% men, 50% women. I spoke at the Baltimore Greek Orthodox Cathedral a number of years ago. There were 400 people um, in this sanctuary listening to me speak. Wow. And I mentioned that. And I could see people looking around like, oh, this can't be true. So I had a young man stand up and count all the men. And I had all a young woman stand up and count all the women. 200 men, 200 women. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding you. Wow. 
I did the same at this college conference. I, could, I told them that story and I could see they were kind of looking around, oh, this can't be true. So I had a young man stand up and count all the men and I had a young woman stand up and count all the women, 30 and 30. Man. This was not planned. This is the way wow. it was. I mean, this is exciting. Yes. And so we need to see orthodoxy for what it is. Now, the best way to keep young people in the church is by example. And by example, I don't mean you'd better do this or you'd better listen to me or that's wrong or that's sinful. The best witness we can give is by being serious about our faith and loving Christ and giving our all to the church. And young people see that. I had a woman come to me many years ago. She had a 14-year-old son in tow. And she says, Father, my son has decided he's an atheist. And please talk to him. He's going to go to hell. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I was an atheist at one time. Look at me now. And then I looked at the mother and I said, your son is 14. Let him find himself. Love him. Be supportive. Don't put a trip on him. And then I said to the boy, you have a 12-year-old brother. You need to give witness to your brother of the importance of being obedient to your parents. So whether you believe in God or not, you need to go to church every Sunday with your family so that your brother has a witness, has, has you as a witness of what the proper way to be a kid. And then let it be. I guarantee, I haven't, they haven't been back, but I'll guarantee that kid's going to be a faithful Orthodox Christian as an adult. Absolutely. Amen. Um, now we're, let, let's switch over to fathers of younger children. And this was another user submitted question. How can fathers who are newer converts like myself, I, I believe this gentleman is a, a year or two in uh, to being, uh, to being Orthodox with mm-hmm. lots of small children start to transform homes, especially now at a time like this, and our, and our lives into, into, and resemble small monasteries, you know, almost like small churches as well. You know, we don't, we don't want to make home life feel sort of suppressive to children. Mm-hmm. It has to be normal. Sure. You know, um, I'm suspicious of people that are new converts that all of a sudden transform their homes into mini monasteries, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do all these formal services and all of that. I remember many years ago, there was a couple that were, uh, that were looking into orthodoxy. The, the, the woman got it quick because she, women by nature have a stronger intuitive nature than men. Oh yeah, I know that. And she got it. But her husband was all about rules, and this is the way we do it. And one Sunday I noticed that he poked her because she didn't make the sign of the cross at an appropriate time. Mm -hmm. 
And then she confided in me that she didn't know whether she wanted to be Orthodox because she was afraid that her husband, who was already kind of a controlling person with, who was really strict about rules and had been a Missouri Synod Lutheran, which is the German end of Lutheranism. And she was afraid that he was going to take this to an extreme in their marriage. So what I did is I pulled him aside and I said, no more reading of orthodoxy. Don't want you to read any books on orthodoxy. You're going to get your orthodoxy by osmosis, by attending the service. This was pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. I said, six feet apart. <laughs> and they both became orthodox. Oh, that's awesome. So he led her at her pace and he was at his pace. He still at times seems a little bit aggressive with his keeping of the, of the rules. And that's okay. But, we, but what's really more important is what's in the heart. That we, need to, we need to have joy in our heart. That's what orthodoxy is about. All those rules, all the traditions, all the prostrations, the sign of the cross, the liturgical expressions, all of those things are not ends in themselves. They're the vehicle by which we go into a relationship with God. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I, I like that answer. I think that's going to be uh, something that, especially that gentleman's going to, I think it's going to give him a little bit of a sense of relief. <laughs> um, Listen up, guys. <laughs> uh, so this, this is more of an overall question, but I thought this was an interesting one. What do you recommend mankind at large should change as a result of kind of going into this new world um, that everyone keeps talking about post-pandemic? Well, first of all, we need, it's not about picking up signs and going out there and, and protesting the closure of churches or anything like that. Mm. I think it's about being joyful. Mm. There are some people that have questioned our bishops and wondered, well, why are the bishops allowing our churches to telling our churches that they have to be closed? Well, the scriptures tell us that render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. The the governments of the states are telling people that this pandemic is serious and that we should not congregate in large numbers. And we need to listen to that. Ultimately, whether that's the right decision or not, that's another story. It's not for me. But we are to be obedient. Mm. So when we were told by our bishops that we had to close the monastery, we closed the monastery to visitors. But what it also means is that when I go out into the community, I've got my mask on. Now I can tell you, that a mask doesn't do diddly for somebody with a beard. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I heard a funny story, and this is serious. I saw a picture of a woman who had the mask on, and she had a hole cut out from here down to her lips. Right. And somebody asked her, they were filming her, and they said, why do you have that? Well, it's easier to breathe. <laughs> but then even funnier, there was a man who put his beard up Yes, I saw that. With the glasses? I saw that. that. was his, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's probably as valuable for him <laughs> as me putting on a mask 
with a beard. It's not going to do anything. But what it does is it shows people in our community out there that I care about their safety. Mm. So whether I am safe because I'm having that, I don't believe I am. But I want them to know that I care enough for them that I'm going to put on this. Mm. I did tell one friend that we need to get these black masks that say, it's later than you think, to quote Father Seraphim Rose. Or, or, or another one that would say, um, oh, that would have a big smile. Yeah. Because, you know, you go out there and I, I go into our post office and, and I see all these people looking at me and I'm looking at them and, and I say, we are smiling under these, aren't we? And they laugh and say, yes. But, but, but it's important that people know that I care about them enough to do what's required of me. Absolutely. And so that's what we do, and that's what our bishops are doing. Our bishops aren't happy with this. Our priests aren't happy with this. And many parishes are, you know, they don't have people buying candles. They don't have people, lots of people don't tithe in the Orthodox Church. The only time they give is when they're in church on Sunday. we got to remember that the church our parish is not a movie theater. Mm. We don't pay for a movie on a Friday night, but the next Friday we're not going to the movie, so we don't need to pay for it, do we? Church is not like that. So we need to continue to support our church, whether we're able to or not. This thing could, this closure could continue. It could continue for months. We don't know. Nobody knows. But we have to continue to support the churches economically. Absolutely. We have to, we have to know that, you know, I I had actually somebody sent me a note and they said, I'm the church that is open for Pascha. I'm changing jurisdictions and I'm going to go to the church that's open for Pascha. Well, there was not one Orthodox church in the entire Seattle region that was open for Pascha. They had Paschal services, but the doors were closed and locked. And some of them streamed their parish services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not up on that yet, so we haven't done that. This is kind of the first. Part. Well, you got Zoom now. You, you can do it. <laughs> well, there we are. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll remember how to do it, but that, I can always help you. I have no problem. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> but, but the truth is that we need to live our Orthodox life so that people out there visibly see it. Mm-hmm. If you're an Orthodox person, wear your Orthodox baptismal cross so people can see it yeah. and follow the lo- rules if you've got a neighbor, old lady that, that is afraid of going out for fear of getting the virus, knock on her door or give her a call and ask her if you could pick her up groceries or mow her lawn for her. Uh, there are so many things that we can do. I have been a police and fire chaplain for 17 years. Hmm. And, and it's it, on a small community island like this with 11,000 total on an island that's the size of Manhattan, New York, and 87% undeveloped forest, I don't get many calls. But now I've been informed 
by the professional organizations that govern chaplaincy that we're not allowed to respond because of the danger. Mm. So if there's a police officer or a firefighter that would normally call us for help, they call us and we guide them into what to do. That's hard for me. It's hard for me that it's always been kind of this, I took my dad when I was growing up, he was bigger than life. His nickname was Big Al. And, and he used to embarrass me, you know, like, oh, I wish dad was quieter. I wish that, you know, he would be a businessman. And, and then one day I woke up and looked in the mirror when I turned 50. I'm 74 now. And I looked in the mirror and I said, oh, my gosh, I've become dad, you know. And then one of my priest friends about that time gave me the nickname, the Big T. So here's my dad, Big Al, and I'm now the Big T. Big T. I like that. Yes. <laughs> Abbott, what is one resource other than your work that you want to tell folks about and share with them? Well, you know, there's a, a book by, by uh, Archimandrite Tikon, um, who's now Metropolitan Tikon, called Everyday Saints. And that is a book that, when it came out in Russia, was an overnight bestseller. And I suspect it still is. And then it was translated into English and it became an overnight bestseller. That is a really good book as a devotional. Start mm-hmm. at the beginning and read one part of it every day as a family. And the really wonderful thing about it is, you know, oftentimes when we think of the saints, we think of these people that are like demigods. They're way up there, and I couldn't possibly be there, you know. But that's what we need to be in order to be entering into the kingdom of heaven. We right. need to be saints. Right. And so the nice thing about this everyday saints, I mean, it's all, you know, the gamut of saints, including a guy that rides a motorcycle, like a Harley. <laughs> I mean... We need, to know, we need to see what that means yes. to be everything that we can be and, and, and to inspire our children. You don't need to be like grandpa to be a, um, a saintly man. Be yourself. And that's what really makes orthodoxy so viable. And the wonderful thing about orthodoxy for men is that it's a physical, it gives us physical challenges. It's almost like a tribal religion or, or, or maybe military in nature, you know? That, that it, you know, all the signing of the cross, the prostrations, the standing for long services, the fasting, it's a committed, it, it takes commitment. Yeah. It's not one of those things where you just walk into a mega church and, get yourself a latte and sit down in a comfortable chair and be entertained. Wow. Did you see that drummer up there? Boy, he was awesome. (laughs) It's not about that. Right. Right. It's not about the preacher because the priest has his back to us as he's facing God with us. And the iconostasis is this, it's like an invitation. You know, it's like the Old Testament veil 
that separated the Holy of Holies. Right. Only it's been ripped asunder. And we have the doors open and the veil opened and we can see the Holy of Holies. And the icons of Christ and the Theotokos and the saints are invitations. They're windows into eternity. We focus on that in our prayer. And then when we go home, you know, my icon corner back here is the same thing. You know, it's like, that's... That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, even when I travel, I have my traveling icon, you know, a diptych that, that somebody gave me. It's about this big. And when I open that up and I put my prayer book and my Bible in front of it, mm -hmm. and then I go, you know, out, you know, for a lecture tour or such, and I know that the cleaning ladies that go into that room are going to see that. Right. That's a witness. Right. Wow, this guy brings his church with him. How awesome is that? When I go to the International Conference of Police Chaplains training in Cannon Beach, Oregon every fe February for a week, and it's at a Bible, it's at a Christian conference center where they have a Bible college. And it's the young people there at the Bible college that clean the rooms. And they go into my room and they, they don't just see the Bible that's been, the Gideon-type Bible that's right. been sitting there. Right. They see the Orthodox study Bible and my prayer book and my diptych. Mm -hmm. and, and then they see me. And I'm the only one that looks like this. And I've been going for 17 years. They all know me. They're all happy to see me back. I don't give them a blessing when I see them. I give them a high five. Good to see you again. <laughs> when I'm out in the community or walking Cannon Beach, I'm just bringing God's joy into his creation. Mm -hmm. There's not a day that I don't try to bring joy into God's creation. Amen. Well, that's what the big T does, right? <laughs> that's what the big T does. <laughs> Abbot Trifon, this has been an absolute blessing and a pleasure. Thank you so much. I, re I really well, do appreciate you joining me. It's a joy to, to be invited. Thank you and God bless you. And keep the faith. Absolutely. Amen to that. And we will definitely have you back on, I'm sure, sometime soon. I would love that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, dads. Are you responsible for your household or business finances? If so, check out my website, runthemoney.com. Run the Money is the place for money management tips for saving more, paying off debt, and budgeting. I also give you ideas and information for starting a side business. If you're in between jobs or need a way to get a better handle on your family's money, go to runthemoney.com for free articles on money management. That's runthemoney.com. R-U-N-T-H-E-M-O-N-E-Y. All one word. Runthemoney.com. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to Dad Devotionals with me, Dave Domzowski. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and also email us at daddevotionals at gmail.com 
and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dad devotionals and also youtube.com slash dad devotionals. Make sure to subscribe, like us, do whatever you got to do to stay in touch. Thank you for listening.